In this episode of the Euctropolis podcast, how to simplify parts for students who are struggling, how to teach the B-flat chord using an Irish jig, and how to avoid unwanted sounds between notes. Welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast. For more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions, I'm your host, James Hill. And in this episode, we're going to dive into some questions and answers from the J. Hui Teacher Certification Program Level 2. Don't worry if you're not a teacher, there are some tips that you'll be able to apply to your own playing. And anyway, it's just a nice reason to hang out if you're having your morning coffee or if you're driving somewhere. It's just a chance for us to uh, spend a bit of time together and talk about our favorite instrument. Stick around. So, level two of the J. Hui Teacher Certification Program. This is something new. I've done an episode before on level one of the program but never questions from level two. So I'm looking forward to this. If you're not familiar with the Jehui Teacher Certification Program, you can find out all about it at euctropolis.com slash jehui, which is J-H-U-I. And J-H-U-I stands for the James Hill Ukulele Initiative. That's right. It's a mouthful, which is why people call it Jehui. So in a stroke of cosmic luck, hui is also a Hawaiian word that means not only the chorus of a song, you know, the part that we would all sing together, it also means a group or cohort of people who are dedicated to a thing. So the J. Hui uh, name just stuck because it's got these uh, Hawaiian overtones and really... It really encapsulates the feeling of being in this program with like-minded teachers from all over the world who are dedicated to the ukulele and who are interested in becoming better teachers and helping one another to become better teachers and tapping into three generations of ukulele pedagogy and wisdom and repertoire going right back to Chalmers Doan and the beginnings of the Canadian ukulele program uh, in the 60s. So uh, I'm very excited to be part of this uh, ongoing story of ukulele teaching, and it's great to have the program online now so that more people around the world can access it. So we're going to start here with a question from Donna. Donna is uh, working on her level two certificate and she has a question about crawdad song now this is one that i actually learned when i was a kid studying with jamie thomas at belmont elementary school in langley british columbia i remember learning this song crawdad song it's a it's a lot of fun it goes like this you get a line and i'll get a pole honey honey you get a line and i'll get a pole babe you might have heard it uh, it's it's a very fun one to sing along play upbeat but donna says do you have any tips for students who might not have the agility to pick the eighth notes at tempo 
Maybe they should use a pick, or do you have any other suggestions? And what Donna is talking about is those notes, you get a line, get a line. It's easy enough to sing, but when you go to pick those notes, they can be kind of challenging because they're going by fast. And it's always so nice to have the ability to play the melody instrumentally so that you can create a more interesting arrangement, right? You might sing it once, and then you might pick it once, and then you might sing it again. And that would make a nice, complete-sounding arrangement. But when it comes to picking those notes... They're especially challenging because they are repeated notes. Sometimes it's actually easier to change notes quickly. Just because of the way that stringed instruments work, if you've got notes that are on adjacent strings, sometimes the ergonomics are actually more straightforward. Sometimes the most difficult thing to do is to just repeat one note quickly. And that's exactly what we have in this case. So Donna's finding that some of her students are getting stopped up here. So I've got a couple of uh, ideas, a couple of suggestions to make. Idea number one is um, simplify the melody by leaving out the second quick note, the second eighth note. Um, so you're effectively here making the melody into quarter notes, and it would sound like this. Right? So that's simplifying it, and that may work, um, because somebody sitting next to you may be playing those in-between notes, and, um, you know, the audience won't know the difference, um, because, you know, you're just playing a simplified part. You know, if you've got um, arthritis in your thumb or if you're struggling for whatever reason to play these repeated notes, then that might just help you along. The only part about that that I'm not really keen on is that the music feels incomplete. And that can be, if you know, for a certain kind of student, that could be discouraging because they feel that, oh, they're not really playing the real thing. Uh, I know that might be a frustration for somebody like me because I, I want to feel that I'm playing something that is complete. The, the, I want to feel like I'm playing the real thing, you know? So if, you're, if you have a sense that your student would balk at that, that it's not really the right fit for their personality or what they're looking for musically, you could try idea number two. And idea number two is to write a bass line so that those students who are struggling with this part, they have the option to play a different part that is complete and that is musically purposeful, but that just doesn't have those quick repeated notes in it. So this is something that we study in the Jay Huey Teacher Certification Program. Students in level two study how to create bass lines using the ukulele so I can't go into the whole you know, seminar, we just don't have time. But the general idea is that you can 
Either play one note over and over. You get a line and I'll get a pole, honey, honey. Or to make it sound a little more like a proper bass line, you could alternate between the third and fourth strings, like this. You get a line and I'll get a pole, honey, honey. Right? This actually does sound sort of like a bass line. It sounds especially like a bass line because I have the low fourth string on. So that low G, which is um, a thicker string, and it's tuned down the octave from where the ukulele is normally tuned. I often recommend this for educational environments. And it, this is one of the reasons why I think the low fourth string is really nice in these kind of uh, educational settings. Because you can get multiple parts happening uh, relatively easily, multiple parts that sound good and blend together nicely, and you can do it all without leaving the comfort of those first three or four frets. That is a real advantage when you have a differentiated classroom where you have some students who are really keen and, and able and they're you know surging ahead, and then you've got other students who are lagging behind or need a bit more time or don't have the same level of interest. Well, you can start to give all of those students something musically purposeful, but it really helps to have the wider range that the low G gives you. And this is just one example of that in practice. So the bass line on its own in this case is mostly just back and forth between the C string and the G string. And that gives us a sense of umpa, you know, bass line. And in fact, this kind of alternating ostinato pattern, ostinato is just a fancy word that means repeating pattern. This is the kind of thing that students in this program have been doing from day one. It's one of the first exercises that teachers learn how to do with students because it's amazing how much musical fun you can have with just the open strings if you know how to bring this out of the instrument. So this, if you've been following, following the uh, ukulele in the classroom method, this exercise or this way of playing should not be new to your students. But here's another moment to put it into practice. Again, what I like about the idea of writing a bass line for students, or better yet, with students, and getting them to uh, come along on the creative journey of making a bass line that sounds good, and maybe even adding some extras, little bass runs, that kind of thing. What I like about this exercise is that it gives those students who were struggling with the melody, gives them something that is theirs. This is an important part of the musical texture that we're creating. They are playing an important role. They can take ownership of that. And they don't feel like we're just slapping a couple of training wheels on them and then asking them to sort of fake it till they make it. This is something that is musically purposeful. And the process of creating this part is a wonderful learning experience. So Donna, I hope that helps. Thank you for the great question. And uh, 
Good luck. going to turn now to a question from Allison. Allison is working on the song Barney and Katie, and she asks, are there any rules of thumb or guidelines for how to work out the proper fingering for ukulele part one? Okay, this is a good question, and for those who aren't familiar with the tune, uh, Barney and Katie is a traditional Irish fiddle tune, basically. It's a, it's a jig. I'll play it for you now just so you know which tune we're talking about. It goes like this. There. Nice little Irish jig. Barney and Katie. And if you're just tuning in, you know, for the first time, and you're not sort of sure where we are on the teaching spectrum, then uh, this is this really is uh, well into level two of this program, Ukulele in the Classroom, which, by the way, is totally free to download. You can download all three of the student ebooks from uh, euctropolis.com slash classroom, and you'll find this in lesson seven of book two. So by now, your students, they have a lot of skills under their belts, uh, from chords to scales to some sight reading, musical understanding. Uh, at, at this point in time, they uh, are starting to explore the B-flat chord, and uh, as I'll explain, that's where this song comes in. So Allison, to go back to your question, are there any rules of thumb for, for how to figure out the proper fingering for ukulele part one. The reason I mentioned the B flat chord is because that's what this piece is all about. That's why Chalmers Doan and I chose this piece for this moment. And to understand the fingering for this piece, the, the way the left hand, uh, you know, actually makes the notes on the fretboard, to understand that, you have to understand the purpose of the lesson. And the purpose of the lesson is for students to practice the B-flat chord without necessarily realizing that they're practicing the B-flat chord. And of course, teachers out there and players, you know that the B-flat chord, this one, that's one of those chords that keeps you up at night. Because for weeks, months, sometimes longer, when you're first starting out, it sounds like this. That's the B-flat chord for a beginner, right? Maybe you get one note out of the four. And gradually, it starts to emerge. But this is a tough one. If you play guitar, well, this is the F chord on the guitar. This is the equivalent of that on the ukulele. All the strings are covered. We've got this chord three, two, one, one. Those are the names of the frets from the ceiling to the floor. Three, two, one, one. With that first finger lying down and covering both the first string and the second string. That is a new skill. It's something that takes a while to master. And so 
what do you do as a teacher when you want to help your students to get a nice, clean sound on the B flat chord? Well, you can show them what it should look like, and you can show them how it should sound. And then you could just sit back and uh, hope that at some point it just clicks for them. But that's like, you know, putting all the ingredients in a bowl and just hoping that they're going to stir themselves. <laughs> you know, like as a teacher, your job is to put the ingredients in the bowl and then help the students to stir it. You know, you have to move the process along. And so just saying, well, that's not quite right. Uh, do it again. Well, that's not quite right. Uh, try it again. You know, well, that's not quite You know, you, you got to do more than that. You have to be able to take this thing apart, clean all the cogs, and put it back together the, the way a, a watchmaker would, would, would approach things. How do we tease this apart? How do we clean everything and put it all back together and hope that it works better. Well, to do that, I like to teach this problematic chord melodically instead of harmonically. In other words, I like to teach it one note at a time instead of all the notes at a time. All notes at a time is great, but that will come. I like to teach it one note at a time and have fun with it along the way. Instead of just bashing my head against the wall until it clicks magically at some point in the distant future, I like to have fun with it as we're getting closer to mastery, step by step. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's just isolate two notes of this chord. Forget about the whole thing. Just put that first finger down across the first and second strings at the first fret. We get two notes. Well, there's got to be a melody that we can play with those two notes without moving the fingers at all. Well, here's an idea. Uh, I'm hers, she's mine, wedding bells are gonna chime. It's a little tiny segment from Do What Diddy, right? Well, if I can play that little tiny bit of melody without moving the fingers on my left hand, if I can get the notes clean, then I know I've got that bit and I'm ready to add one more note. But in the meantime, I get this sort of, the little prize along the way of being able to play that melody and be able to master that melody. That's the, uh, the, the, little, the little incentive that I get to go to the next step. And when I add one more note of the chord, the note D, second finger on the second fret of the C string, now I've got these three notes. And now I could find a melody that uses only those three notes. Here's an example. That's right, it's the melody from In the Mood by Glenn Miller. I can play that melody without moving the fingers of my left hand. And if I can do it, then Number one, I know that I'm ready for the next note of the chord. And number two, I've had this little intermediary prize along the way that I could play that little melody. I, I feel like I'm making progress. I feel like I'm getting 
rewards incrementally as I move toward mastery of this B-flat chord. So that's the sort of the bigger picture here as we're looking for a way to, uh, to choose fingerings for this Irish jig. And if you look down, uh, if you're looking at the music, because you've downloaded it for free from euctropolis.com slash classroom, and you've downloaded book two, you're looking at lesson seven, and uh, the melody is in uh, ukulele part two. And uh, you might have a look at measure nine, for example. That entire passage from measure nine to 10 to the downbeat of measure 11, that entire passage can be played simply by holding the B-flat chord in place and choosing the note that you want to play. I didn't move my left-hand fingers at all for that whole thing. And that's what I sometimes refer to as a chord hold melody, meaning that that passage can be played in its entirety by holding the chord in place. And that's kind of the stealth teaching moment of this piece, where we're trying to get students to practice the B-flat chord without making it feel like B-flat chord practice. So that comes back to the idea of teaching this chord melodically. Now, Allison is not talking about uh, ukulele part two. She's actually talking about ukulele part one, which is a harmony part to the melody. This is one of those <clears throat> uh, unusual situations where uh, ukulele part two, the lower part, actually has the melody, and ukulele part one is kind of the icing on top. Keeping in mind everything that I've just said about learning the B-flat chord. The rule of thumb is the same for ukulele part one, although it may be a little more unfamiliar because we're going higher up the neck. Here is ukulele part one. It goes like this. So that's the harmony part that sits on top of the melody. And you'll hear right away that it's quite a bit higher in pitch. That first note is the fifth fret on the A string. And because we're moving up the neck here, we have a decision to make. And that is, do we stay on one string? That was all on the A string. Or do we use the A string and its neighbor string, E, to kind of set up shop on the fifth fret and um, use adjacent strings to play this in a, in a more compact way? Now there I was using two strings. A string here, but then I'm going over to the sixth fret on the second string. That is another way of playing it. You get the same notes played in a different way. This is something that drives piano players crazy because on the piano, there's only one way to play each note. But on the ukulele or guitar or mandolin or any stringed instrument, there are usually multiple ways to play a given note. That brings with it, you know, a lot of uh, 
confusion, but also a lot of possibilities in terms of expression. And if you ask professional players, I think that you'll find that much of the time they will say string length is the most important thing. Keep the string as long as possible because you get the most resonance and the most volume. It may not be the most convenient, but you know, I'm willing to chase this melody around on one string if it gives me the the tone and the sound that I'm looking for. Because when I'm up on stage entertaining people and getting paid for it, the sound is the most important thing. But if you ask somebody in an educational context or somebody who's just playing for fun, they might prioritize the convenience of the fingering. They might say, well, you know, if I can just stay in one place and not have to chase this melody up and down one string, you know, I, yeah, maybe I can hear that that string has a different tone from that string or in the podcast <laughs> it probably you probably don't hear it at all especially if you're on like double uh, speed um the 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 subtleties of the tonal changes don't really matter as much right so maybe it's the convenience of this fingering that is most important and so that's actually where we're going to go right now we're going to say how can we make this easiest and most ergonomic for students and continue to explore this idea that you can hold a chord in place and have all the notes of a passage under your fingertips. So in this case, we go to measure nine of Barney and Katie, and we see ukulele part one. That entire passage, just like it was in ukulele part two, that entire passage can be played just by holding the B-flat chord, but in a different place. Yeah, this is the next inversion of B-flat, and it harmonizes beautifully with the melody. In this case, I'm playing a B-flat chord, but I'm playing it in a, a new inversion. I've got a bar on the fifth fret, and the fret names are, from the ceiling to the floor, seven, five, six, five. And now, all of a sudden, the notes that I need are all at my fingertips. without even moving my hand at all. Now, okay, a professional might actually play this differently. They might move around a bit more because they like the sound of that more. But the point of this whole exercise with students is to get them to play that B-flat chord one note at a time. And this moment is for the more advanced students who are looking for something more challenging to sink their teeth into, well, all of a sudden you can start exploring the next inversion of B-flat while other students are still working on the, the home position B-flat that we know and love. And here you've got two levels of ability literally harmonizing with one another. So, Allison, that's a very long sort of wandering answer uh, for, for a very good, succinct question. But I wanted to show um, listeners, really, uh, because Allison, I know you and I have talked about this through the, the chat Q&A, but I really wanted to bring this question to the wider community 
because it's connected to something that comes up a lot, which is how to teach the B-flat chord, how to teach the B-flat chord in a situation where you have multiple levels of skill at the same time, and how to take a simple piece like Barney and Katie and turn it into this differentiated learning experience. So I hope that's helpful. Allison, thanks for the question, and good luck. So let's go to one last question from Jehui Level 2. This question is from Karen, and she's working on the piece Rondo by the Baroque composer Jean-Joseph Mouret. This is maybe most well known uh, as being the theme song for the TV show Masterpiece Theater. Uh, It goes like this. You might remember it. You might never have heard it before. It's a great tune, very playable, very teachable. Works well as a ukulele solo, the way I was just playing it. It works great as an ensemble piece. Lots of fun. Uh, But Karen is wondering something more general in this case. She says, how do I prevent unintentional pull-offs? She said, the first time I noticed this was listening to a recording of myself picking a melody. She said, I was so shocked by all these unwelcome extra notes created by my fretting hand. Do you have any tips on how to lift the left hand fingers without adding extra notes? She says, that would be most appreciated. Well, it's a great question, Karen. I'm sure you're not the only one who's thinking this. Um, It's a little hard to say exactly what's going on. It's a little hard to diagnose this uh, without seeing exactly what you're doing. But I can offer a couple suggestions. Uh, The first one is super obvious. Let's get this out of the way. Uh, Just make sure your hands are really clean before you play. This is something that I have dealt with for myself and with students over the years. Uh, It seems silly to say it, but, you know, wash your hands before you play. If there's anything on the, the, the skin of your fingertips, it might cause unwanted sounds. You know, if you just ate a lollipop or something, <laughs> your fingers might be sticking to the strings. Um, there's even a product called Fast Fret, uh, which is this kind of soapy substance that you can just sort of brush onto the strings. Uh, and that can help make movement along the strings totally silent. Uh, that's just a thought. I mean, I, I've used this myself in the studio when I was struggling with this problem. There were times when I was recording, I think it was the album A Flying Leap, where these extra sounds were just so annoying and you could hear every little thing in the microphone. So um, that's something I use to get rid of those sounds. But um, beyond that, uh, just make sure that your fingers are leaving the strings uh, directly uh, you know, up. They're, they're coming straight up, but not at an angle. Because sometimes when you come off the string at an angle, you get this unintentional sound. 
So really the only way to get better at this and to really investigate and figure out what's going on is very slow, intentional practice. Um, if possible, record yourself, and uh, it sounds like that's what you're doing already, record yourself and listen back the way a sports team would record their games and then watch them again and analyze what they're doing. Um, that makes a big, big difference. And here's an exercise that you can do, really simple, anybody can do this, uh, and it might just be the ticket. The first thing you'll need is a metronome. I've got a metronome app on my phone. I'm not trying to promote any apps here, but like this one is literally just called metronome. Very creative, but it works. Works great. And I'm pretty sure it was free. So uh, I'm, I'm going to set this metronome to 70 beats per minute and start it up. There we go. It does what it says on the tin. It clicks. Okay. So I've got that 70 beat per minute click. And what I'm going to do is just go back and forth between two notes. That's it. In this case, I'm going to choose the note C and the note D, second fret on the C string. So I'm going to start really methodically and quite slow, two clicks per note. That really gives me time to focus on the way my finger is leaving the string. And what I think you'll find as you really uh, zero in on this, like you really zone in, is that unintentional sound when you're playing is <clears throat> not so much about like having clean fingers. It's about coordination. If I don't leave the string, at just the right moment, I will get some kind of glitch. If I leave the string too late, I'll get that kind of a sound. If I leave too early, I'll get potentially a double pluck. One that's coming from the left hand and one coming from the right hand. I'll exaggerate like that, like this. It's more about coordination than anything. And the only way to really understand this is to just do it. I can talk about it till I'm blue in the face, but it's not gonna make much of a difference. So this is almost a like a two-note meditation. You can really sink into it and listen to every attack and every release make sure they're super clean. And if they are, then you're ready to move on to the next step of the exercise. Keeping the metronome at that same tempo. Double the speed of the notes. One click per note. Now I also notice as I'm doing this, and really, really listening intentionally to every note. I notice that, again, it's about coordination. If my right hand thumb gets to the string too early, I get a glitch. 
it really just has to arrive at the <clears throat> exact same time as that left hand finger. They have to work together and be totally in agreement in order to get a clean sound. That's the finger arriving on the fret at exactly the same time that the thumb is plucking the string. Otherwise, I'll get some kind of misfire or extra sound or buzz or hiccup. And literally one or two minutes of this a day will make a huge difference. And when you get it nice and clean, with no extra sounds, then you're ready to move on to the next step of this exercise, which is, you guessed it, keep the metronome where it is and double the tempo of the notes, like this. Are you still getting a clean sound? Or are you getting glitches? Like that. If you are getting a lot of glitches, go back one level. If you're ready for the challenge, step it up and listen, listen, listen. And make sure each of those attacks is clean. If you're ready for the next level, then try triplets like Eventually, when you're really feeling like a hotshot, try four notes per click, like this. And see if you can get that real consistent attack. And when you're finally tired of those two notes, well, you can just do any other two notes. it is that you're working on. If you're having uh, trouble with this passage, if you're having trouble with that passage, just isolate like the first two notes of that figure. Go through this whole exercise. Until those notes are super clean then put them back in context and I'm gonna say I guarantee that you'll be playing more cleanly with less unintentional sound but you know this is one of my old hobby horses which is if you're having trouble you have to look at it like a like a watchmaker you know you don't just shake it and hope that it gets better you know you don't just you don't just put the watch under your pillow and hope that by the next day, it's working better. What you do is you take it apart, you clean all the cogs, and you put it back together again. That's all I'm doing here. Going back to Barney and Katie in the last question, that's all I was doing. Taking it apart, cleaning it up, and putting it back together. That's what we're doing with this exercise as well. It seems, I don't know, I think to some people this seems kind of boring. Uh, to me, it's rewarding because you know that you're taking steps toward mastery. Uh, it's a purposeful, methodical way of practicing. 
you know what to do. You just have to do it. So I hope that's helpful. I, I've used this uh, exercise myself over the years. I've heard other people use it, and I've heard the results. It's so simple. Uh, I hope that you're able to incorporate this into your own practice and into your own teaching. Karen, thanks for the question, and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Euctropolis podcast as we explored questions from teachers in level two of the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. That program is done entirely online. It's accessible to anyone anywhere in the world. And you can learn more about this program by going to euctropolis.com slash J-H-U-I. And while you're there, you can check out any one of our unique online ukulele courses. We've got stuff for absolute beginners right through to advanced students. But the best part of Utropolis is the community. If you're looking for a warm, welcoming, supportive group of people to help you along as you progress on your ukulele journey, well, you found it. I'll be back again next week with another episode of the podcast. And until then, keep on strumming.